I just want to give a heads up at the beginning. Midsummer is a horror film that deals with some very heavy material. Obviously, if you've already seen the movie, you know where this discussion will be headed. But if you haven't and you're listening to this, just fair warning, this episode contains discussions of suicide and death. Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Ari Aster's Midsommar. Thomas, we were closing in on Halloween and we wanted to discuss something spooky, and yeah, why did we land on Midsommar? Midsommar, I think, for me, is one of the most more interesting horror films of the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I would say horror isn't a genre that I am super into. It's probably the, of all the genres, it's probably the one I have the least practical experience with. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe unless you count like romantic comedies or something like that. But I've just, I've just haven't watched that much of it in my life. But this one in particular hit me in a certain way when it came out. It kind of is slotted nicely into being spooky for me, I think. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of horror that's about monsters or ghosts or is just kind of a slasher doesn't... I can appreciate them on maybe a technical level, but a lot of those movies, for whatever reason, I don't find that scary. But this movie kind of mm. hits that like area of psychological horror. I don't know. A lot of what happens in it is... I found it actually horrifying, I guess, would be would be like... Point number one mm. for why I think it's an, an interesting horror movie. But then also yeah. Ari Aster's direction, I think, is very interesting. It has a very distinct atmosphere and mood and art style. Mm. This movie is maybe the closest thing you could pinpoint in terms of what you might get if, like, Wes Anderson made, like, a real horror movie. <laughs> there's, there's one particular yeah. shot I'll mention later in this that just sticks out to me as being, like, bizarrely Wes Anderson it's almost completely hmm. it feels almost completely out of place but somehow it works in this but then also beyond those elements there's also some interesting ideas and themes at play here that I think will fit well into the kind of stuff we like to we like to talk about so this was my third time watching it what do you find interesting about this and what was your experience watching it and hmm. rewatching it yeah I'm guessing I have more experience with horror than you have, based on what you just said. Yes. Um, I used to go to a lot of horror movies when I was in high school because, like, my schoolmates, we, we would sort of dare each other to not <laughs> right. be afraid and yeah. then go see a really scary movie and secretly be really afraid. But, of course, you wouldn't admit it to the, to the classmates. But it's a genre that I've always found interesting. Like you, I'm not the biggest fan of it, especially when it's just about jump scares or... Right. Uh, lots of gore like I do I'm, I'm more susceptible to a spooky atmosphere I guess instead yeah. of deliberately created spooky moment with like a jump scare or oh there's a ghost somewhere and something's about to happen but we don't know what right <laughs> like I can feel that tension but it always feels a bit artificial to me and it can be done really well but usually that's it, it feels a bit cheap compared to horror movies that really get under your skin and really touch on some deeper yeah. fears that you might have. That being said, Midsommar does feel kind of like the antithesis of a what should feel 
scary right because yep. it's not like where we're talking about this in uh, in the fall time like it's it's raining outside the leaves are changing but this summer of or this movie is like it's bright summer super bright images it's not moody in the sense that a movie like halloween or the exorcist or even the shining is moody that's not to say it doesn't have a particular atmosphere but it's not one that you expect or generally associate with this type of genre yeah and I definitely find that really interesting, although I read that apparently in Sweden the movie is perceived not so much as a horror, but more as a black comedy. And I can kind of see where they are coming from. <laughs> yeah, there is interesting. some aspect to it that just feels kind of funny. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but it's if you compare it to like even to Hereditary, which was uh, the movie that Ari Aster made before this one, that one to me, won't spoil it, um, but that one did have that more classic horror vibe, I guess, and therefore felt much more dreadful in a way. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Whereas Midsommar, there's also a lot of stuff that feels more lighthearted, like the, the mushroom tripping scene that's kind of funny, even though it still deals with very serious themes. And But that, in the end, is, I guess, uh, leading back into the question of why this movie is. Um, because I, I think it does have some interesting stuff to say, especially about depictions of grief, yeah. relationship issues. There's also a lot of cultural reflection going on, but which I find interesting, but I'm also not sure if this genre is the right place to explore it. There's some tension there between wanting to critique a certain culture from the perspective of another culture, right? while at the same time also still wanting to have that relationship where you have these innocent people going into this weird messed up culture that's going to get them all killed. So there's, there's some tension there between wanting to do something with regards to cultural exploration, I guess, and also being this a suspenseful horror movie. Yeah, but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get into all that. There's like three main things going on in this movie. One is, besides just being a horror film and, and mm -hmm. playing with the tropes therein, there thematically we, we got a relationship story. There is the grief and like death and dealing with those things and how we relate to them and cope with them. And then there's the anthropological element that you're talking about that I would see as yeah. maybe the weakest element of those three in, in this movie or the one that it yeah. kind of engages with in the most kind of surface way, but then doesn't really yeah, play out entirely. It's kind of a, a individual versus collective cultures right. exploration or comparison. Yeah, That to me is the most superficial one. Even yeah. though it, I, I do think it, it does add something to the other two elements that you mentioned, the way relationships are formed, the way grief is being dealt with, which never just exists in a vacuum, but that, that I think this movie nicely shows that all that exists in a wider culture that has certain flaws or can have certain flaws in the way you can deal with those uh, things. Yeah. One thing I want to mention before we get into that stuff that kind of relates to what you said about its atmosphere being very brightly lit and kind of sunny and also how this movie touches on something that maybe your average like slasher or ghost monster movie might not is it never really plays off of jump scares or anything like that instead what i think it it deals with is what sometimes people call psychological horror and i would use that to describe this to a certain extent it's dread i think is the main thing that i would even more than suspense 
there's mm-hmm. this there's this very strong underlying sense in this movie of kind of knowing what's coming to a degree and and just the feeling of like dread as that inevitability sort of approaches which i think works very effectively and that relates to that it's all out in the open we see it all brightly it's not obscured in shadow there isn't there isn't really an ambiguity about what is going on and that kind of makes it all the more horrifying and Mm -hmm. that's not just in the way it's lit but in the way the story is portrayed we get all these clues and these these depictions of kind of what's coming and there's very little that happens in this movie that isn't sort of alluded to before it actually takes place there's even sort of like a four there's like a four panel graphic painting mural at the beginning that sort of kind of outlines like the the main beats of the whole story and the seasons and thematically fits into the movie but that kind of resonates throughout the movie where there's all these moments where if you're paying really close attention, especially on rewatches, you see elements of what is coming alluded to before we even get there. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just plays into this feeling of of just like, I don't know, the, the feeling I had watching it the first time was kind of like, I don't want, I want to get off the ride. I don't want to mm-hmm. be <laughs> like on this path towards what it feels like is inevitably going to be coming down the Mm -hmm. pipe i think this movie does that particularly well yeah because it it does take a while before something really scary happens or even something that's shocking and even when it does the first time with spoilers ahead i guess but with the two old people that complete their life cycle and they jump down the the cliff that's like the first big shocking reveal i'd say but then it's also pretty effectively argumented why this isn't a scary thing and it's just part of their culture like that's not right it's hard to feel a sense of malevolence or like some kind of evil presence there when this you know it's it's strange it's absurd it's you know something that we would never want in our own culture um although you know that's not to say that we i think that the boyfriend he also points out like oh when our elders reach that age we just put them in a nursing home somewhere and right no longer care for them so there's there's a there's a, there's a pretty good argument to be made or at least that within the context of the movie that things are pretty much fine for a really long time until they ac- actually start i think it's when the other researcher gets he's the first one to get murdered i think right the the one who's doing his thesis he breaks into the or did the other guy who beat on the sacred tree did that happen earlier yeah he he technically is gotten first but yeah. we kind of, the reveal the reveal that the tr- the reveal that the the cult mm. is kind of actually has malicious intent here comes very late it's i was keeping an eye on the running time mm-hmm. this time it's at least like almost an hour and a half into the movie i think you you start to get a strong suspicion that that's coming for a much earlier than that but like you said it's kind of played off and it's less left ambiguous and we can kind of you can kind of leave this doubt in the back of your mind of like oh maybe it's just it's it's a different culture and mm-hmm. yeah this is a very weird thing that seems dark to us but maybe we can you know extend 
some kind of, I don't know, maybe we just don't understand. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, there is a point where it crosses a threshold into what seems much yeah. more actively malicious. Yeah, that comes very late. Yeah, because at, at that first thing where the, the elders die, that's, at that point, the characters, they, they, they don't yet have to fear for their own lives. Yes. It still feels like, oh, this is just the life cycle that we go through. Yeah. And it's only until much later that you actually get the sense that, oh, wait, we're actually, we actually might not leave this place or they might not want to let us leave this place yeah. even. Well, what version of the movie did you watch, by the way? Because I didn't know this until after I rewatched, um, I, I, I think I rewatched it on HBO or something, just uh, like a streaming service. But that was the theatrical cut. That's um, like two hours, 20 minutes. Yes. But I didn't realize until later that there's also a director's cut that runs pretty significantly longer, like yeah. 30 minutes longer. Like that's almost tr- three hours. Yeah. It's, I think it's like 24, 25 extra minutes. Have you seen that version? No. So the, I watched that one in the middle. I watched the theatrical version mm-hmm. in theaters and then the director's cut. And then I rewatched the theatrical again this time. And most okay. of it is little bits, not entire scenes that are missing, but little pieces that are added mm-hmm. on that kind of further illuminate the kind of tension between Christian and Josh and their anthropological research. And then oh, there's yeah. some extra material where where Christian is kind of being more ga- there's he's further gaslighting Danny and just kind of being a generally horrible person. The big thing that is missing is there's the scene where there's another ritual that happens after the elders die, where they go off and they kind of like this is spoilers for the director's cut, but they bundle up this. Mm-hmm kid and they're gonna throw him in the river and he's gonna die or something i don't remember it's been a while since i watched it exactly i've seen that one on youtube as a deleted scene yeah and that one's like seven minutes long that's the main chunk that i was that is missing and i I would say it plays better i think without that because yeah that's what i thought too yeah that scene affects what we were just talking about which it kind of tips the hand a little earlier towards at least i mean the audience knows we know the cult is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an interview where Ari Aster even talks about that. He's like, you know, walking into this kind of where it's going. And and that was a dynamic that he's working with in this movie is like, OK, yeah, a bunch like four idiots walk into, you know, this creepy village that seems too good to be true or whatever. And it's a horror movie. You just kind of instinctually know mm-hmm. what is going to happen. But but what that scene changes is it tips the dynamic of the the visitors and their perception of how malicious the cult is, I think, too early. And it makes mm. it seem like they should have been more suspicious and less susceptible to where things are going. Whereas in the theatrical version, by the time they kind of realize things are taking a turn, it's they're in too deep. It's too late for them to kind of get out and escape. Yeah. And so I think it's a little bit more effective in that in that way. So overall, would you prefer the director's cut or the theatrical one? Overall, I think the theatrical mm. plays better. And and I don't think there's really anything in there that yep. is necessary to to understanding the story. The stuff that's added with like Christian and Danny that you don't get, you still get you still understand mm. the dynamic of their relationship without that extra yeah. material. Yeah, I, I, I already feel the th- 
theatrical cut is kind of pushing the limit in terms of pacing. Like, yeah. I, by the end of it, I, I I like the movie. I think it's good, but th- there's a point at the end where I feel like, okay, now I I get it. I'm kind of done with it. I've, and then it kind of runs on for another yeah. five minutes or so. Like, I feel the the last twenty minutes could have probably con- been condensed to like maybe fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know, not a lot, but just to just to show that by the end of it, there's it does feel like it's on the verge of outstaying its welcome yeah. and of you know, yeah. Once things get ramped up and Danny and Christian are kind of really separated, and there's the the whole like mm-hmm. weird sex thing happening, and and like that section to me, I think runs on longer than it would need to because by that point it's like you're not riding up the roller coaster anymore you're like at the top like waiting for it to go down and it just sits there a little bit too long Mm -hmm. i think i think the last bit works is very effective for me Mm -hmm. the final drop i agree with you there that it just waits a little bit too long um yeah i think even that that very ending i think it's strong but it could have been just a bit tighter maybe like there's a so there's a lot of setup with the final sacrifice, I guess, yes. sort of. And I don't know. I'm not sure how it would have looked if it if it was, was trimmed yeah. a little bit. Because sometimes, somewhat paradoxically, a longer movie can feel better paced than a shorter one. Right. But I, I'm not sure if that's the case here. Yeah. One more cinema of meaning? Well, Tom and I record an entire bonus episode every month. And the best way to get those bonus episodes is on Nebula. And you can sign up for Nebula right now with the link down in our description. Nebula is an online streaming service created by creators like Tom and I, where we can publish our work early and without any ads. You can see our normal YouTube work there and listen to our podcast on Nebula early and without any ads, but you also get access to a monthly bonus episode when you listen on Nebula. In our bonus episodes, we've talked about movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Drive, Alien Covenant, and a bunch of others. So check out those episodes now by listening on Nebula. The best way you can get access to Nebula right now is through the Curiosity Stream bundle. Curiosity Stream is a streaming service dedicated to bringing you wonderful documentaries. And when you sign up for Curiosity Stream using our code, you'll also get access to Nebula. The entire bundle for the two streaming services is available for less than $15 for the entire first year. You can sign up for that bundle right now at curiositystream.com/cinemaofmeaning or click the link in the description below. So yeah, maybe we can dive into sort of the themes here. The What do we want to tackle first? Relationship elements, maybe? This being like just the most horrifying breakup <laughs> movie ever created. <laughs> I think maybe just start at the very beginning because we have this, it's a pretty long prologue for the story that is to come. We, we set up... Uh, we actually begin in the winter time in yes. somewhere in the United States. Um, I'm not sure if it's specified where exactly. Doesn't really matter. But the movie kind of opens with we have a few beats that are set up. We have Danny who is worried about her bipolar sister who's left this weird message about you know that just raised a lot of red flags for her. She's worried about her relationship with. Christian because she feels like she's been just dumping all of her issues on him and leaning on him too much. And then in what I think is a pretty dark twist of irony, there's the scene with Christian where he kind of communicates to his friends that he wants out of this relation. Yeah, And that's when uh, it is revealed or Danny calls him because she's found out that 
her sister has killed herself and both of her parents along with her, meaning that, you know, now that whole relationship, like the, the, that one-sidedness is gonna, it's just brought it to the extreme. And uh, so we have this pretty interesting or fascinating setup where you have this one character who clearly wants out of a relationship that he now has no way to escape from really because the kind of the, the horror that's being dumped on him is it's just too strong like he's not he, he might be like a bit selfish or narcissistic but he's not like pure evil as in the sense that he's like okay you go deal with that i'm gonna find right. another girlfriend or something like that yeah and so out of compassion that's when he invites her to come along to sweden with with his friends go to the village and that's kind of the basic setup yeah but that all takes its time that's like 20 30 minutes maybe even i'm not sure exactly it's a pretty extended sequence before we even get to sweden yeah and i think it sets the tone pretty well like i find that opening particularly like terrifying this yeah, is where same. one of the strongest elements i think of this movie for me is florence Pugh's performance yeah she just embodies the kind of it's like an underrated ability, I think. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm working on a video about the sound design in Nope, screams mm. and those kinds of things and comparing it to Jaws, and I've been researching that a lot. But it's, it's like a very underrated ability of performance to be able to make a, like a scream or a wail or a cry mm. that is really intense but also feels authentic doesn't feel mm. performed florence Pugh just like hits all of those marks throughout this movie of just being like you you completely buy into her just like devastation mm -hmm. it feels very authentic and I, I think if that element wasn't there it wouldn't be nearly as effective yeah of a movie but the setup the setup also too is is a great kind of double bind to get get things mm -hmm. started because you kind of, for me, people have different perspectives on this movie. For me, your patience runs out on Christian pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I find it hard to sympathize with him at all. And I'm kind of like on Danny's side if you have to pick sides. Mm -hmm. But you can at least, most people I think will relate to the sort of dilemma that's presented at the beginning which is like yeah, yeah he should have he should be getting out of this relationship if he doesn't want to be in it anymore yeah they're clearly not right for each other and it's toxic and as the movie goes on you're kind of like they need to be not together but also like you said he's not like it also does seem like the right thing to do to not be like well i'm gonna break up with you right when this very traumatic terrible thing is happening mm -hmm. so yeah th i think that's a yeah a good a good foot to get the disconnect <laughs> started on <laughs> by good i mean terrible <laughs> to add to what you said on um florence Pugh depicting that deep sense of grief i i think it's also ari aster's uh, direction here that's really um important because he did the same in hereditary where did you get around to watching that one? i i haven't seen that unfortunately i should have watched that first but yeah oh keep it this completely spoiler free but yeah hereditary it's also a horror movie there's also something bad that happens at the beginning to a character who because of that enters into this stage of almost unimaginable grief and 
there's that the, the performances are somewhat similar. Um, but I I read somewhere that a lot of people who ex who have experienced like that kind of grief themselves, you know, that the grief from truly losing someone that makes you want to die yourself, like losing a child or something. Like, yeah, I fortunately have not experienced something like that, but I've read from people who have that that the way Hollywood depicts that usually is completely off base because they'll see actors like crying, like uh, or like being sad, crying a little bit, maybe even crying a lot. But that's uh, what some people said was that that's not what that kind of grief looks like because what it yeah. does look like it's just utter and complete like devastation and wanting to die that's pretty much what it comes down to and that's what you see in midsummer too where she's just that kind of wailing that you described i think that's a good way to put it it's just it's so bodily and visceral and uh non-performative it's like this you know just pure devastation that comes yeah. from within from like having your inner self completely ruined and devastated and that's i can imagine yeah that's that's really hard to act but um so yeah that that, that combination between the proper direction yeah and then having an actress that can pull it off that's uh really showing its potential here and that i think is as you said really communicating the weight of that grief both on danny as well as on Christian who has to kind of indirectly deal with it, not as a personal grievance, but more as just the weight of that kind of trauma. Like, how do you handle that as an outsider? That's, you know, just as difficult as a question almost as dealing with it yourself. Yeah. Probably not worse though, but you know, right. they, they're both challenging in their own right, to say the least. So yeah, I, I actually, on my first viewing, uh, to move on to uh, your second point more towards... Um, Christian and their relation or the relation between Danny and him is that when I first watched the video or the movie, I actually was more sympathetic towards Christian than maybe most other people. I'm not sure why. Like I saw a lot of people describe their relation as being purely toxic because of Christian and that Christian was kind of doing a wrong towards Danny, whereas she was just the the kind of victim in that relation. I'm not sure right. if that's the case. I think I agree with you that they obviously weren't a great fit and that they probably would have been better off apart from each other. But I, I, I can relate a little bit to that idea that, you know, Christian is someone who he's presented as someone who just doesn't know what he wants in life. And you see it with the way he, he doesn't know what to do with his thesis. So he ends up copying uh, Josh's uh, work, yeah, uh, which leads to tension there. He's kind of just floating around aimlessly and i can imagine that's kind of similar to the way he approaches his relation with danny like he's not i don't i didn't get the sense that he was an active actively toxic or consciously malicious he was just maybe i agree that he was like uh dragging her along needlessly that he probably should have just if he was so insecure about this relation then he should probably have cut ties with her sooner but yeah, to me, it just felt like he didn't know what to do. So he, he he wasn't sure if he was maybe really, maybe he really was in love with Danny. Maybe he didn't love her enough for a proper relationship. And it, yeah, just, I'm not sure. It, it didn't feel like to me like he was just this pure toxic guy. It just felt like right. he was kind of struggling to find his own identity and therefore also couldn't properly relate to those around him, which obviously hurts someone or, or the person who's closest to you, to you or should be the closest to you is the one who ends up being hurt the most by it because she, she inevitably, as happens in the movie, kind of struggles with that idea or with that fact that 
Christian is all like caught up in himself, in his own head and what he wants to do, what he wants out of life. And so he's not, he's kind of turned selfish in that way and not really considerate of Danny as a consequence. I think it also ties in maybe a little bit, maybe jumping ahead a little bit here, but the way the cultural differences are depicted in this movie, whereas I think Christian really embodies that strong individualistic culture that we have in the general West here, where it's, you know, life when it comes down to it is all about you. Like, what do you want out of life? What kind of career do you have? Uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Whereas the culture that's depicted in Sweden, or at least this little commune, it's more about, it's all about collectiveness and sharing things yeah. and contributing to the group, or in their case, that would be the relationship. Whereas, you know, he has it kind of the other way around. He's He's more self-centered in that way, but I just never really saw him as malicious. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So there's two elements of what you talked about there that I think, to me, kind of get to the core of the most interesting pieces of this movie. Mm -hmm. First to Christian and the toxic nature of the relationship or whatever. I think I've sided more with Danny on the first go than what you're describing, but mm -hmm. I don't fully remember. And so it's possible I was tainted more by the director's cut, which shows like gaslighting behavior from Christian more explicitly, oh, yeah. uh, which I, I do think kind of paints him more as villainous. Mm -hmm. If we do in the theatrical cut, if we do get behavior from him, the bad thing that he does is eventually he kind of uh, he goes off and sleeps with this. Yeah girl which is kind of it's a weird area where he's drugged he's under the influence of this cult like there's all things not to excuse him yeah but it's but he he does seem completely out of it at that point the, both <laughs> of them are kind of victims of this cult at this point so it's hard to mm -hmm. like completely cast blame on either of them for what's going on because they're literally being drugged and coerced into doing stuff. And obviously, you yeah. know, you can't, you're not in your right mind when that's happening. But he doesn't seem very resist, even before he's drugged, he doesn't seem very resistant to this idea of being lured in by this mm -hmm. other girl. And that's the, that's the most explicitly like villainous thing that he kind of does yeah. that I think paints him in the wrong in this movie. But before that, if there's anything that he, that is toxic from him, it's just a general like dismissiveness or inability to engage with her. He doesn't cut the relationship off, but he also we don't see any sign that he's able to engage with her grief or her situation in like an honest or open way. And mm -hmm. and that is the element that I think ties into the whole cultural comparison and grief and the most interesting, perhaps the most interesting part of this movie. Danny is with Christian and Pele is the one who's kind of luring them, ultimately luring them into this cult. And he, in contrast, is presented kind of in contrast to Christian as someone who is very like caring and is paying attention mm, yeah. to he remembers her birthday. And the first kind of key thing that we see in that is he actually asks her about this, the death of her parents and how she's feel like this horrifying event. And you can see in that moment where 
she's sitting on the couch and he kind of asks her about it and like Florence Pugh's face kind of melts. And mm-hmm. there's this there's this tension of, I think, within it's it's setting up. Sorry, I'm trying to put together a complicated idea from mm-hmm. several angles at once. So I'm doing a poor job here. But it's setting up the cultural lens of at the beginning, we're established with this Western society that's very individualistic, like you said. It's also not facing directly the horror of what happened to Danny. So there's this sense where she's not even used to the idea of talking about it or it, like just even acknowledging it in conversation is this very difficult mm-hmm. thing to do. There's no sense of collectively anyone else acknowledging what she is going through or the horror of what she has gone through at the beginning. I think this is set up like it's dark, it's moody. We talked about already how the the movie is bright and airy and sunny and everything's out in the open, but that's not the case at the beginning. It is dark and moody and it's snowing outside and it, it kind of sets up this like, oh, the modern Western world is one where people are individualistic and horrifying grief can happen and nobody mm-hmm. knows how to really cope with that directly or in a immediate way. And then that's contrasted against this cult where not only will the cult, not only will the rest of the community engage with your grief as a community collectively to say, we feel what you're feeling, we can relate. There's this mm-hmm. communal expression of accepting and recognizing those horrors but also it's all out in the day it's all out in the daylight they're they're gonna stare at it head on and face it in its visceral horrifying unflinching look at that that's really like a central contrast that the movie is setting up Mm -hmm. it doesn't well we can get into kind of what it's doing with that contrast then but yeah I think that's inseparable from their relationship because part of what makes Christian, I don't know how to put it, but part of his fault in the relationship in my eyes is the kind of dismissiveness of how he engages with her grief or mm-hmm. the, the scenario. But that's also one aspect of the movie where, and this is why I think maybe people carry different things away from it or relate to to different characters. I I do kind of think that element is underdeveloped because we don't we don't get to actually see much of their relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like hinted at in a few places. So going into the beginning, you don't know Danny like keeps apologizing for stuff that isn't really her fault or I don't know. There's there's an unhealthy dynamic in their relationship that mm-hmm we don't get a full picture of we're only seeing yeah a few snapshots of so it's it's hard to to formulate entirely yeah i think it's easy whenever you talk about relationships to or specific examples of relationships to show or to talk about it in the sense that one is in the wrong and the other one is in the right and i'm not sure if that's the a good way to assess what's going on here i think it's more maybe about just depicting certain qualities of two people that somehow just don't harmonize with each other or that right. kind of become inadvertently toxic for both uh, people. Because I, uh, for the record, the second time I did feel more for Danny's point of view and the way she just could not share, or at least in her experience, could not share her grief and 
was afraid that she would only burden her boyfriend with all her right emotional troubles while you know in a perfect world you should that should be the very function of someone you know you know you love that someone you also share burdens with and that's something that she couldn't do with him yeah but at the same time i can also imagine a version of this story where it's more the other way around where if you really have it from christian's point of view at least at the beginning he is shown as someone who sticks around who stays with her he tries to do the right thing he's not like shown as someone who's cheating or just talking bad about her behind her back towards his friends like he even when danny's not around he's kind of protective of her even when uh, his friends are right less into their relationship and kind of hoping for it to fall apart so I can imagine like a version of this story where you have, you kind of twist it around where you kind of show the toxicity of being with someone who just constantly burdens you with issues or, or just constantly takes from you without really giving anything in return. So someone that just is just casting energy that's just taking up, like that's just eating away at you without you also re uh, receiving something from that person. So in that sense, Christian might also not be receiving the kind of love that he wants from a partner or that he's expect expecting from a partner in the same way that Danny is not able to do the same with him. So that's just, for me, it just felt like there was more of a disconnect or the way, yeah, just the way our cultures have shaped us individually in such a way that we, even despite our good intentions, cannot uh, communicate with each other or just cannot be in a healthy relationship with each other. That's not to say, of course, that they are excuses all behavior and that there's no way they could have be more proactive in improving themselves or improving their relationship. You know, Christian definitely could have been more attentive, more less selfish. But at the same time, maybe even if Danny truly was worried about her uh, burdening Christian with too much baggage, like she, she is also the one who could have said okay I, I i release you from this like be free to do whatever right. you want just let me be for now something like that but i am I, I am fascinated by the way the movie kind of elicits this whole discussion that we're having now and that it's not the one-sided story of heroin girlfriend needs to dump right. bad boyfriend <laughs> in a bear suit in a sacrificial <laughs> hut yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. and set it on fire <laughs> I, I like that that there's more nuance to it that makes it more yeah. interesting to talk about and that it uh, invokes also these reflections on how we as individuals are shaped by our larger social systems and structures that might have raised us in such a way that they make us incapable of certain interactions or right. sharing certain emotions with each other that, that, that are just unpleasant or difficult to deal with. Yeah. I think as a sort of side note, uh, one thing that the movie also sort of tagging on to what you said about the Swedish cult doing everything in the daylight... There's also that element that we in our culture, um, you know, general Western European slash United States, we don't generally have a connection, like a genuine connection with death and also yes. literally with uh, dead people. Like we don't see, we generally do not, do not encounter corpses, like literal yeah. physical dead people. And when we do, like when you, when you, you know, I think most of us had like a, maybe a grandparent who died, but they're then kind of uh, embalmed in a way that, or they kind of presented in a way that just makes them look not that, like we do everything yeah. that we can to kind of not stare death into the face. And when we have to, or when we absolutely have to, that's when we make it pleasant. Yeah. 
or at least pleasant enough um, so that we still can avoid it a little bit what we but we definitely do not have that intimate connection with you know what a literal corpse looks like and that's kind of interesting i'm not sure what that means for us like psychologically or sociologically but you know that's something that this culture is or the swedish cult is definitely more familiar with they obviously have no issue with uh throwing their grandparents down the cliff and watching their bodies splatter on the rocks beneath them and even like doing the mercy hammer kill if it's uh yeah if if the fall enough wasn't didn't do it (laughs) yeah no they're they're very literally looking death in the face in a way that in the way that we are not at all comfortable with and and Mm -hmm. i i I do agree that i think if there's sympathy that i can find with christian it is toward to that element of his inability to cope with this with danny's horror and grief is not necessarily specific to him that's more of a cultural thing that he has inherited there's a very stark contrast between the scene where right at the beginning danny is crying and wailing and he's just kind of sitting there like you know i don't know what to do but just hold her and let her do Mm -hmm. her thing and the flip side of that which is within the cult the community there's that moment where she cries and wails and all those girls are gathered around her and they're like you know collectively yeah i love that moment expressing emotion altogether and this is what i kind of love about this movie is at least i watching it feel the tension this entire time by the time we get to the end you're like okay it's it's a cult we shouldn't dress put people (laughs) we shouldn't put our ex-boyfriends in bear suits and burn them (laughs) and like you know like i don't condone any of this behavior but as you're going through this there's a certain element of it where you you can kind of see how this attitude could be enticing. And I think mm-hmm. Ari Aster is doing something that's kind of interesting here, which is showing you something that has a little bit of, it's kind of an appealing antidote to this thing that he sets up at the beginning as there's a vacancy in this culture and we're, we can't deal with grief properly and we're out of touch with death and all of these things. And then he gives that to you and it's like, oh, here's an alternative. Here's a community where they are and where they do grieve communally and where they can express mm-hmm. their emotions and all of these things. But then that cult is like, but then it's like a creepy death cult that lures people in and yeah. offers them as sacrifices. So you you can, it kind of like can be a little bit enticing, but it's still ultimately horrifying. Yeah, that, that for me is where the, like my... So where I feel conf- the most conflicted about this movie is that yes, I agree that it definitely and almost explicitly like offers a better alternative culturally to Danny than she has right. where she came from. But, but then it also shows, you know, it still has to be that horror movie. So right. it's also kind of uh, indirectly says that that culture is under or those elements of those culture are undesirable because they also lead to that you know the yeah yeah the sacrifices and the the bloodshed and the violence and the the horror stuff and that to me i'm not sure if that's something i find meaningful or like well put together in a sense in terms of like what what message it really conveys yeah because i can imagine this movie as not as a horror, but as a genuine drama that ultimately ends being more inspiring by uh, offering that kind of antidote, as you said it, to our culture in the sense by or by taking 
elements from uh, older coaches that we have lost touch with. And so, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if in that sense, if you if you're just looking at that thematic element of that of of the movie being a horror movie, actually adds to that, or eventually does just detract from yeah the kind of inspiration that people can take from that because there i think there are genuinely good messages presented to us through that cult you know yeah. uh, as you said through pele who is the more thoughtful attentive friend who connects people together like he's introducing everyone to their friends they make sure everyone's comfortable there's the whole communal aspect the, the shared grieving which uh as i said is it was a lovely scene but you know then it also has to yeah, it's almost a shame that it then has to become that other movie too, you know, where, oh no, it's the good cult that's been healing my pain right. is actually evil and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I feel a bit conflicted. It doesn't bother me too much, but yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of where I said at the beginning, I think that as like a genuine quote unquote anthropological examination of two different cultures that's where it feels mm-hmm. kind of the shallowest and maybe that's just my perspective but it's hard to get a finger on where Ari Aster is really coming from because it does seem like he has he has a handle on or at least he's trying to explicitly present this idea of n- an unhealthy coping with grief in mm-hmm. western for lack of a better term society but then yeah he's like you're saying he's ultimately he's ultimately painting the antidote as the villain kind of in a sense here that just leaves you with like a weird conflicted vibe it kind of works on one level where it's that's kind of how cults operate i think Mm -hmm. in that they provide something to the members that is alluring that gives them something that they're not getting from society as a whole or and often it's vulnerable people who have had some kind of trauma in their life who they do need community they do need an outlet or a way to cope and then they get lured into this thing that like gives them some kind of relief or way of dealing with that but then preys on that and turns it into something terrible Mm -hmm. so i can appreciate that element of it but I also yeah. feel the same conflict that you're talking about, which is like, yeah, I, I think we have an unhealthy relationship to grief in this society. We need a more healthy one. And so it, it gives me a weird vibe that this movie is kind of presenting that and then and then going and hmm. and it's a spooky, horror, horrifying, yeah. terrible thing. I think most audiences are probably not going to walk away from this movie going like, oh, communal ways of dealing with grief are actually bad because it's going to lead to us killing our grandparents at 72 <laughs> yeah. or something. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't think yeah. most people are going to take like that message away from this movie. But it does kind yeah. of undercut this movie actually having a message. Mm. It doesn't really have a message mm. by the end besides, you know, I don't know. I guess for Danny, it's a victory. But, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I can imagine to the film's credit that it's, it gets so over the top and absurd by the end of it that you can kind of separate. Okay, like this is part was like genuine reflection on our culture, and this part is just the entertaining movie part. As I said, it's it's not something that bothers me or ruins the movie from for me from having like this deep message because yeah, I'm not, yeah. not sure there's supposed to be one. Um, I'm also wondering you, the way you talked about cults preying on the weak. Like, does it actually prey on Danny or does it, because it seems to only 
elevate her or kind of integrate her into their own structure. It's more like even the other ones, like, I'm not sure what the exact plan was if the others went along with everything, you know, because you have the two British people, I think, the the, the kind of secondary ca- characters yeah. that get also get introduced to the tribe and they kind of freak out after the incident with the elders and they want to leave and they're murdered because of that, or at least that is implied, you know, they want to escape and they want to, so that's why they're killed. Mark, he's the one who gets killed probably because he uh, desecrated the the sacred tree. Josh, who's killed because he uh, tried to copy their sort of holy Bible against uh, their wishes. So he's kind of like, you can make the argument that he was going to bring information that wasn't supposed to be for the outside world outside of there and so they had to or they felt the need to stop him yeah. as for christian yeah he's obviously used as a sort of you know the kind of bulls they used to inseminate other cows like that's kind of what he felt like he needed right. they needed uh, outside genes to prevent too much inbreeding but you know so for most of them like i wonder what would have happened if they had just accepted the cult for what it was and maybe even desired just stick around and go right. along with everything. Would that still have led them to be murdered like right, they were right. now? But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. By the end, you have the feeling early on that they're getting killed because they're getting comeuppance for, like you you just detailed all the things mm-hmm. that they're doing that kind of violate the, yeah. the laws or rules of the community. But then towards the end, they're like, oh, we needed eight sacrifices or whatever and it kind of seems like it's all been preordained and there's also this vibe at the beginning if you pay attention to how the community interacts with everyone as they're first being introduced they're like welcome welcome but then when they talk to danny they're like welcome home they direct this very specific energy at her and it feels like that's where maybe the movie i think is less developed it's it's like Pele, supposedly, his whole deal is to, like, bring people in so that this thing can take place. But they have no Mm -hmm. backup plan. I guess they're all just trusting (laughs) that it's going to take place because Danny only ends up coming along because Christian goes behind everybody's back and invites her. So Pele is not really doing a good job of, like, luring, actually luring Mm -hmm. people in if Danny is so necessary to this whole process. Uh, Maybe it's precisely because she wasn't selected that she was able to kind of rise within the ranks because she wasn't deliberately she kind of came along as an afterthought that's so she she was the sort of upsetting factor in that whole scheme of things that they uh, probably do like every year it seems cyclical in the way they they talk about at at a certain age like the cult members they go out on their pilgrimage and then it's kind of suggested that that's when they go on their little tour bring back some tourists and sacrifice them or uh, use them to expand their own gene pool yeah and not end up with too much inbreeding but yeah this is where i think for me the movie ultimately makes more sense less as a literal reading in that sense and more mm-hmm. in one of the things I like is there's this symbolism of the seasons and you have winter, spring, mm-hmm. midsummer or summer which, where which is where midsummer happens or yeah, winter, spring, summer, fall mm-hmm. and then it goes back to winter and they kind of detail that as cycles of life and they talk about how midsummer is like, I forget exactly what they say, but 
it's an age range and it's the age range mm -hmm. that these characters are in and it's also what's happening in this movie and it's kind of a period of transition and death and rebirth and it's the sort of this pinnacle and where things are at their hottest and burn no higher and then fall off so ultimately i think this movie works best as this kind of less like oh what is actually happening to danny literally and more as a mm -hmm. grappling with death and grief and a breakup and a failed relationship and coming to a point of catharsis and letting that die and then coming out the other end and being reborn into this state of accepting and letting the past that past die and being able to look more squarely in the face the reality of death and kind of cope with it and move on i don't know you know that's that's kind of like emotionally where i'm at at the end i don't know if it's i think that quite beautifully captures it yeah yeah i don't know that it has yeah. something to say within that or about that mm -hmm. but that's the kind of emotional arc that i'm on where by the end i feel the like catharsis of danny i think like it works pretty effectively for me where mm -hmm. that's where I think I kind of ultimately, even if I can be sympathetic a little bit towards him at the beginning, ultimately I don't feel bad for Christian at the end. I'm kind of like emotionally in Danny's boat. Mm -hmm. Not that like Christian deserves to be put in a bear costume and burned, <laughs> but yeah. I, but just like emotionally I'm caught up in the catharsis of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's probably where it's most effective. And this is where I think... I really like this movie, and after watching it three times, I'm kind of like, I think it's good, but I don't know that this is a movie I'll keep coming back to and back to, because the more I like, hmm. I think it resonates and works for me on a very visceral level, but as I start to like pick at the pieces of it, it 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 hasn't been enhanced through further viewings. Like Each mm -hmm. time, it's been a little bit less... Um, which doesn't mean it's a bad movie, but yeah, yeah. it's unlike some other movies where they they expand in their impact as you as you watch them more. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of what we talked about in Nope, is that it feels like a movie that has some things to say about various different subjects, but doesn't have like one cohesive thesis that's being yes. explored and carefully uh, examined. And, you know, that's fine. But yeah, I agree with you that it's probably not the kind of movie that I'll be coming back to again and again. But now we're we're both still in the midsummers of our lives. So yes. for now it's uh, still relevant. But so what was the Wes Anderson shot? Oh, oh there's a moment. <laughs> so when you're, they're building up to the ceremony where the old people jump off the cliff, there's a shot from behind and you can see the entire crowd and it's kind of symmetrical. The cliff is in the center and there's a character, there's a weird character with like a flute or some kind of instrument or their whole I don't know they're holding something and they look they turn and look back right at the camera just kind of acknowledge its presence and then they look back at, up at what's happening and it's like it's a it's such a Wes Anderson kind of <laughs> moment I've never seen anything like that except in a Wes Anderson movie there's another kind of similar but more subtle moment in a few other places that have to do with like can't characters like looking towards the camera I don't really know that it means anything. It's just a, mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's kind of a stylistic tick, but that one specifically just like strikes me as, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
one last question. I what what yeah. did you think of the the usage of psychedelics in this movie? Because you have like two yes. very significant scenes. One at the beginning where they do uh, mushrooms, I think, which kind of goes bad for Danny. But then at the end, I think she does it. She's again doing it as she's doing the May Queen dance thing. Yeah, yeah. But she looks down at the shoe and she kind of sees that similar vision as the one that she had when she did it uh, the first time, where she kind of saw the grass growing through her hand. But in that scene, it felt more like she embraced it. Right, yeah. I'm not sure if that already answers my own question as to the progression of those, the in between those moments where she's kind of introduced to this reality-altering experience and the first time it's rejected, the second time she can kind of flow along with it. Yeah. But yeah, I, just, I was just curious what your thoughts were on that. You summed it up pretty well. I think it, it's mostly effective in kind of introducing the fact that these characters are in this psychologically vulnerable state mm. and makes it more scary in a sense because there's this trope in horror, I think, a lot of times when people are getting sucked into this vortex of the inevitability of the horror and the plot where people are like, oh, why don't they just run? I would just run away, you know, is kind of like I would try to escape or something. And that doesn't really work here. You couldn't have that. Like this movie can't end with Danny being like running through the woods and they chase her down and then like club her over the head. You know, it's just like, <laughs> that's not, that's not the move. So you, I think having that element of they're impaired a little bit keeps mm -hmm. it horrifying, but helps keep them locked in. And we understand how they get kind of enticed into this world a little bit. But also, yeah, it does illustrate the the progression from the beginning to the end. I like that. So one of the things I wanted to mention that I didn't earlier, and maybe this is a good kind of closing point, but mm -hmm. one of the things I think that makes this movie effective for me is that it opens with what I would call like true horror in a sense, or like an accessible domestic horror. Most of us fortunately, thank God, will not have something as horrifying as what happens to Danny at the beginning happen. But it's not, it's not a monster. It's not a metaphysical thing. It's not even a weird cult in another country. It's just mental illness, a horrifying event, a suicide. That's things that are much more domestically accessible to the average human than, you know, getting enticed by a Swedish cult is. Mm -hmm. And setting up that event at the beginning kind of underpins the horror of the rest of the film where as the stuff in the second half is happening in my head I'm kind of like okay this is this is fairy tale fantasy land it's not real even though it's based in Swedish folklore and some of these traditions are like based in some level of reality it's it's this is not a thing that is ever going to happen to me but then there's this sense that underpins all of it that I think they do a good job of setting up at the beginning where the horror and devastation that Danny is experiencing at the beginning is never really resolved. And that first trip is a great example of it where she just hears the word family and then all yeah. of a sudden everything starts to go bad and go sour. I, I love the tension that sets up of it feels everything feels so on edge because it feels like at any moment in this movie the the real devastating horror that is at the beginning can just like leak back through into this world. And then it kind of ultimately subverts that by 
not having in, that's resolved by the end and she kind of lets go of that and is able to kind of accept a new family as evil and you know terrifying as this <laughs> new family is but she's able to accept that and it instead of dissolving into horror it it kind of dissipates into this joy and freedom or whatever that she seems to be experiencing at the end danny finds freedom and joy mm -hmm. at least emotionally of relief and a catharsis in that and that's what's so horrifying to me about this movie is i get caught up in that and i kind of feel it at the end but then you're like it cuts to black and you're left with sort of the reality of what that looks like for her <laughs> and it's you're like oh that's gross. when the horror begins <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's when the horror really begins it's it's so gross that that she finds something that she needed within this this terrible thing and yeah mm -hmm. it's it leaves you like <laughs> with the willies <laughs> which is what i guess what a horror movie should do Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show, be sure to check us out on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can experience our podcast ad-free, listen to all of our episodes a week early, and get access to monthly bonus episodes. On Nebula, we for example covered, among many others, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Drive, Alien Covenant, and Upstream Color. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for CuriosityStream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more, visit curiositystream.com slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the show notes. And we'll see you again next time.